0: In pop culture, certain people can become elevated into a sort of posthumous iconography. Their image can be seen on wall art, t-shirts, graffiti, or coffee table books by Tashin. Icons such as Marilyn Monroe, Elvis Presley, or even Che Guevara can be seen everywhere, with their origins as actors, musicians, or even revolutionaries sometimes lost in the mists of time. How one person is promoted to this ubiquitous pantheon is a bit of a mystery. It sometimes seems based on their beauty or an undefinable charisma or even a certain look in a certain photo, but not always. One person who was firmly ensconced in this illustrious group even before her passing in 1993 possessed a unique combination of all these factors. One of the most enduring images of her career Presents her in a black Givenchy dress with a chic updo hairstyle while sporting a very long cigarette holder. It's a still from her best known film Breakfast at Tiffany's, which is synonymous with actress, activist, and style muse Audrey Hepburn. The Dilettante, a ferrochrome podcast. Born in 1929 in Ixella, Belgium. Audrey Hepburn's early life is worthy of a movie in itself. Her mother Ella van Heemstra was a baroness from the Netherlands whose second husband, Joseph Rustin, Audrey's father, was a British national born in Bohemia while still part of the fading Austro-Hungarian Empire. Ella had two sons with her previous husband, who was a Kier, a Dutch aristocratic title, which her sons also shared, Joseph Ruston also had a prior marriage with Audrey's future parents meeting when they were both stationed in the Dutch East Indies with their respective spouses in the early 1920s. After marrying in 1926, the Rustons moved back to Europe, finally settling in Belgium in 1932, with Joseph Ruston adding the surname Hepburn, a family name now becoming Hepburn Ruston. Their daughter, Audrey Kathleen Hepburn Rustin, had a cosmopolitan childhood, speaking Dutch, English, Spanish, French, and Italian. Her parents held ultra-conservative views on politics, choosing to back Oswald Mosley's British Union of Fascists, which was modeled after Mussolini's totalitarian regime. Mosley was married to Diana Mitford, one of the famed Mitford sisters, and a well-connected Nazi sympathizer. In fact, Mitford and Mosley were so well-connected, Adolf Hitler and Joseph Goebbels were attendees at their wedding. In a classic case of being on the wrong side of history, the Hepburn rustins were avid supporters of Mosley's pro-German stance, with Ella enthusiastically attending the Nuremberg rallies. Audrey's parents separated when she was six years old, and once World War II broke out, Joseph Hepburn Rustin was imprisoned in the UK as a Nazi sympathizer. Audrey's mother moved them to the Netherlands in the hope that living in a neutral country would insulate them from the horrors of war. It did, for about a year, until the Germans invaded the Netherlands in 1940. As a child, it was rumored Audrey might have been involved in the Dutch resistance, with children commonly used to ferry messages back and forth to various cells. Whether true or not, Audrey's family suffered tremendously under the five-year occupation, their family broken apart as an uncle was executed and a half-brother shipped to Berlin to work in a labor camp. Food was extremely scarce during the occupation, with Audrey and her mother having to resort to eating tulip bulbs. Hepburn would claim this childhood malnutrition was why she was exceptionally slender as an adult. When the war ended with the family's finances depleted, Ella Hepburn Rustin moved the family back to London and took up domestic work in order to put food on the table, as well as to pay for ballet lessons for young Audrey. By 1948, Audrey Hepburn was getting small parts as a chorus girl in some London West End productions. In addition, she modeled, took elocution lessons, and shortened her surname to Hepburn professionally. She also made her film debut that year in an educational movie, Dutch in Seven Lessons, where she played a flight attendant, speaking Dutch naturally. She had other minor parts in films which culminated in an English-French role in the movie Monte Carlo Baby, where she was spotted on set by French novelist Colette, who was looking to cast the Broadway play of her novel, Gigi. Hepburn was offered the title role, and it opened in 1951 in New York and toured the U.S. in repertory for two years. Her breakout movie role was in the William Wyler comedy Roman Holiday in 1953. She starred opposite Gregory Peck as a princess in commoner disguise, falling for an American reporter. Her self-assuredness in the part garnered her an Academy Award for Best Actress, which cemented her as a serious contender in Hollywood. In 1954, she acted in Billy Wilder's Sabrina with Humphrey Bogart and William Holden, with whom she would have a romantic relationship almost leading to marriage. Moving from strength to strength, Hepburn starred in the Broadway play Ondine that same year, winning a Tony Award for Best Actress. It was a fruitful collaboration with co-star Mel Ferrer, who she'd met at a cocktail party of Gregory Peck's. A romance soon bloomed, and they married in 1954. She was soon cast with various leading men in upcoming movie projects, Henry Fonda in War and Peace, Fred Astaire in Funny Face, and Love in the Afternoon with Gary Cooper. In 1960, Hepburn also did her one and only Western in John Huston's The Unforgiven, not to be confused with the Clint Eastwood film. It was a troubled production, not the least of which had Audrey thrown from a horse and breaking her back, with the accident rumored to have caused her a miscarriage. Production was halted for a year until she convalesced sufficiently to complete principal photography. After wrapping on The Unforgiven, she took a further year off from work to have a child. When she returned to acting in 1961, it was for a role that to some extent would define her career. Holly Golately in the film Breakfast at Tiffany's, based on a novella by Truman Capote, who had always imagined Marilyn Monroe in the lead and lobbied hard on Monroe's behalf. But Marilyn ended up working on John Huston's The Misfits, with the role of Holly going to Audrey Hepburn. The now iconic theme song Moon River was written specifically for Audrey's vocal range by Henry Mancini, with the instrumental version playing over the movie's opening scene, one of the most noteworthy in film history. Breakfast at Tiffany's influence on fashion is hard to overstate, with Hepburn's chinois hairstyle, Oliver Goldsmith sunglasses, and Givenchy black shift still firmly on the cultural radar over 50 years later. It wasn't the first time Audrey Hepburn had worn Hubert de Givenchy's couture, as they first met when he clothed her for Sabrina, edging out incensed Hollywood veteran Edith Head, who still demanded, and got, sole credit as the movie's costume designer. Givenchy would continue to outfit Audrey for seven subsequent films, with the two forming a symbiotically professional union as well as a lifelong friendship. To quote former Givenchy director de Millet, they were made for each other. When Hepburn passed away, She willed 25 of her iconic dresses back to Givenchy, one of the mediators of her estate, who in turn donated them one by one to museums of his choosing. Later that year, she filmed another William Wyler vehicle, The Children's Hour, with co-stars Shirley MacLaine and James Garner. Adapted from a 1934 pre-code play by Lillian Hellman, It detailed two matrons of a girls' school accused of being lesbians by a student, with the tragic aftermath that ensues. Audrey Hepburn's acting career through the 60s was prolific, with the genres ranging from romantic comedies such as Charade with Cary Grant, to musicals like My Fair Lady, with Audrey again winning a role meant for another. This time the character was Eliza Doolittle, who was transformed from a Cockney street urchin to a society woman with flawless elocution by Professor Henry Higgins, who is played by Rex Harrison. Eliza Doolittle was a role made famous by Julie Andrews on Broadway, with her comedic timing and peerless singing. The fact that Hepburn's singing ability wasn't even close to Andrews didn't stop producers from casting her in the movie version, and overdubbed her musical numbers with playback singer Marnie Nixon. Julie Andrews' validation would come later when she was wisely cast in the title role of Mary Poppins. By 1967, Audrey Hepburn decided to wind down her acting work in order to focus on family life with second husband, Italian psychiatrist Andrea Dotti, with whom she would have a second child. Hepburn would have a brief film revival in 1976 with the period piece Robin and Marion. Paired with Sean Connery, they portray a post-Crusades Robin Hood and Maid Marion reconnecting after many years apart. Aside from infrequent roles in the late 70s and early 80s, her last film would be a cameo as an angel. In the 1988 Steven Spielberg film Always, a reimagining of the 1943 drama A Guy Named Joe. She would go on to do two more non film projects, one being the documentary Gardens of the World with Audrey Hepburn and the spoken word recording Audrey Hepburn's Enchanted Tales, for which she won an Emmy and a Grammy respectively thus putting her in the rare EGOT cohort of those who have an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. In the years following, Audrey Hepburn would ramp up her humanitarian endeavors, being appointed a UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador. She utilized her multilingual talents as she traveled the world, bringing light to the plight of underprivileged and impoverished children, with whom she felt particular resonance, given her childhood in the Netherlands during World War II. She would focus on immunization and clean water programs to famine-stricken countries, with her last goodwill mission being to Somalia in 1992, where she witnessed conditions she called apocalyptic. After returning home to Switzerland from Somalia, Audrey began to suffer abdominal pains, which were eventually diagnosed as symptoms of a rare abdominal cancer, pseudomyxoma peritone. She traveled to the Cedars-Sinai Cancer Institute in Los Angeles for treatment, which unfortunately did not halt the metastasation. Too weak to return home on a commercial flight, her friend Hubert Givenchy arranged for a private jet from the philanthropist Bonnie Mellon to fly her to Europe. She would pass away in January 1993 at her home in Tlushna, Switzerland at the age of 63. In memoriam, her Roman holiday co-star Gregory Peck would narrate one of Hepburn's favorite poems, Unending Love by Ravindranath Tagore. For someone who has entered our collective memory, frozen in time with her Givenchy black shift, pink tiara, impossibly long cigarette holder, and penetrating gamine gaze, she's an aspirational model to many. One line of that poem which might best capture Audrey Hepburn's enduring appeal, in life after life, in age after age, forever. can also be bookended with a quote from Breakfast at Tiffany's Anyone who ever gave you confidence you owe them a lot Indeed The Dilettante Part of the Fairchrome Podcast Network